Garrett Bradbury is struggling, and Rocco Baldelli loses his mind. Coming up on Superior Sports Talk. Carol 11 sports anchor Reggie Wilson covers the Twin City sports scene nonstop. Luke Inman is ready to put him on the hot seat. That's what you got to do to me. Instant analysis. Yanked. Out you go. Post-game breakdowns and red-hot takes. The Timberwolves need a stitch. Reggie and Luke give you a daily dose of Minnesota sports with Superior Sports Talk. Part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. And it starts now. Sam Ekstrom in, Luke Inman out today. Don't worry, he'll be back tomorrow. It's Superior Sports Talk, joined by Reggie Wilson, who's back in the mix after a week in Vegas. Reggie, I'm sure you've got some juicy stories to tell us. <laughs> Nothing juicy, man. Just uh, just a good time <laughs> uh, hanging out with, um, you know, some of the, the best and brightest journalists of color uh, in the country and helping to mold some of the up-and-coming um, black and brown journalists uh, of next of the next generation. That's outstanding. And uh, you told me a little bit off air, and it sounded uh, like a really, really cool experience. Uh, well, while you were gone, Garrett Bradbury continued to get bowled over by Harrison Phillips a, a number of times to the point where Kevin O'Connell got asked about it over the weekend, and that sort of led to some of the bigger Vikings headlines on Saturday and Sunday, where Kevin O'Connell more or less acknowledges that pass protection is a struggle for Garrett Bradbury. Mm -hmm. And it begs the question, Reggie, shouldn't this new front office have foreseen this? It's been a problem for three years, and now it seems to be a problem again. Um, the offseason approach to fixing the center position was, at best, a half measure. They bring in Chris Reed and Austin Schlotman, but neither of whom have great center experience at all. I think Schlotman has 42 career center snaps, and Chris Reed has primarily been a guard. So if they need to make a change, Reggie, I mean, are you comfortable with where the Vikings are at with that center depth? Uh, I guess that's pretty concerning, right? <laughs> like, it's like you were hoping that, you know, because it's kind of like a prove it year for Bradbury that um, – he will kind of like step up, show and prove. But I think the tough part about it is, is like if the guy has struggles with pass protection, maybe that's not something that, you know, you can technique your way through it. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like either you have it or you don't. And maybe that's just one of the things that he just struggles with. Um, I think he does, you know, he grades out, you know, well enough in run blocking, but with how much uh, this offense is expected to pass this season, like having a dude all up in his grill when he's trying to drop back and pass, like Kirk Cousins doesn't need that. When this offense is not going to do well, if that's going to continue to be the case, you know, I think you you got Schlotman as maybe like a swing guy, but I don't know that maybe you decided that he was going to be like a big factor at the center position. I think maybe he was going to be like, depth at, at some of the guard spots, but if they have to end up benching Bradbury, that's going to be a pretty disappointing result, you know, from for a guy that was expected to kind of be like a, a mainstay for a decade plus, and now you're just talking about a, a bubble guy, a fringe guy. You know, you never read the comments, all right? I, I'll say that, but I was reading some of the comments about what some of the fans had to say about Bradbury and a lot of them were saying, like, if he's not picked where he's picked, he would have been benched a long time ago. 
And that's a tough spot to be in. That's he should read the comments, you know, just put that, put that little chip on his shoulder to try to get something going for next season. Because look, if he doesn't do well, he's not going to get paid. I'm sure he wants to make it to that next big contract, but he doesn't have one coming if he's not going to do what he needs to do this season. Yeah, this is where the Vikings were at a couple of years ago with Pat Elfline. Now, he was a third-round pick, but they tried mm. really hard to make it work. They had two years at center. They had a year at guard. And they tried to get it to work that last year, and then Elfline actually got hurt and then eventually released, and that was the end of his time in Minnesota. Uh, Bradbury's in the same spot, entering year four. So his last chance, basically. There's no fifth-year option. It hasn't been picked up. Um, they tried weight gain. Apparently he's put on 10 pounds. They've got this new mm. offense, this new coaching staff, new offensive line coach, trying to just shuffle up the voices in his ear. But it hasn't been great in practice. Harrison Phillips has been winning a lot of those one-on-ones. And this was circulating yesterday on Twitter, Reggie. Bradbury's week two opponent, the rookie Jordan Davis, mm. was just – it. It reminded me of Michael Orr in the blind side where he's just like pile driving high school players 30 yards. (laughs) That's what it looked like. And that's Garrett Bradbury's week two nose tackle, the rookie from Georgia, Jordan Davis. And people were already like shielding their eyes like, I can't watch this. Um, And I think you raise a good point, Reggie, that the first round status does seem to like kind of play games with us here because they like, and, and again, this isn't Rick Spielman anymore. Like that was Rick Spielman's guy. This is not Quasi's guy. So do you think that there will be less attachment to Bradbury despite his first, uh, his number one pick or his first round pick status because there are new people in charge? Absolutely. You know, when you have a, a new team or a new regime coming into the team, I think they want to put their own stamp on the team. And it's like, look, if you got good players, they're going to roll with them. You know, they decided that they're going to extend uh, Kirk Cousins and, you know, keeping Daniil Hunter at his salary and, you know, just kind of keeping guys in place that, that are dudes that can really kind of help change the trajectory of this team moving forward. But look, they aren't attached to anyone. They want to win because at the end of the day, you know, as years go on, their jobs are going to be on the line. And so it's like, look, we didn't draft them. Like, that's why y'all brought us in here anyway to try to fix what some of the past regime did that that kind of, you know, illed the, the franchise a little bit. So I think that's a, that's a case of, like, look, we're going to try to get the most out of this player that we can because we do realize that, he was a premium pick, but at the same time, if he's not going to produce, we're not married to him because we're trying to win, you know, this competitive rebuild that Quasey says that they're in, you know, they have a lot of pieces in place to be able to win, to be able to compete for the division. And if you've got, you know, a guy coming in and stone cold stunnering your, your center on every snap, in pass protection, you're just like, look, we got to get somebody else in here who can block that, like somebody else who can, you know, uh, German suplex a guy, you know, while, while we're going with with wrestling references. But uh, we need some we need some guys that can come in here and just stop the the flow a little bit up the middle. And look, first round pick or not, I think maybe they'd be a little bit more married to it if if it was Quasi and O'Connell's pick. 
But because mm-hmm. it's not, they're just like, look, we're just going to try to see what we can do. If it doesn't work out, fine. We'll get a guy in here that we actually believe in, that we actually can vouch for. Because if not, he's in the wind. Yeah, and again, O'Connell acknowledges that there is competition there for that starting job, but we haven't seen anybody but Bradbury in those number one reps. So maybe this is the week where they start mixing some other people in. Uh, Vikings have a night practice at TCO tonight. That's at 7.15. That's always fun and probably one of the more entertaining practices of camp. Yeah, I imagine you'll either be out there, Reggie, or uh, you'll have someone out there for care. So make sure to check out the coverage, Care 11, Care 11. Com. Uh, before we move on to talk about Rocco Baldelli's meltdown, betonline.net <laughs> is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. They've got NHL, NFL, NBA lines, even golf as well. Scores, podcasts, live in-game betting resources. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline, where the game starts. And if you had the Twins money line yesterday, a disappointing finish against Toronto, game four of a four-game series. Twins make a valiant late comeback, tie the game at two in the ninth inning. We go to the tenth. There's a pop-up to left field. Tim Beckham makes the catch. He throws home on the money in time. Sanchez applies the tag. Twins are out of the inning. But wait, blocking the lane, blocking the sliding lane, was Gary Sanchez, the new rule to, uh, to basically enhance player safety. Um, they said that his left leg was in the sliding lane, so it's overturned. Blue Jays score, Blue Jays win. And, uh, and Reggie, the story here is Rocco Baldelli's reaction. Like the most mild-mannered manager in Major League Baseball, hat-throwing, F-bombs. I mean, there were some serious hot mic <laughs> moments there. And not only that, Reggie, but it carried over to after the game where, you know, in our in our rated tirade to reporters, which is so not Rocco. So I got to get your reaction to all the craziness that happened at Target Field yesterday. Hey, man, I, you know what's funny? Rocco's so mild usually. He's such a great guy too, like just a really nice guy. Like you can go in his office and talk just about anything with them. You know, one day we were talking coffee. One day we were talking uh, Liverpool. You know, uh, he's a a very nuanced guy. One day we were talking New Orleans cuisine. He's really a big fan of New Orleans cuisine. And so it's so funny to see him just get all fired up like that. Um, It kind of reminds me of my time in Cincinnati. it was it was hilarious how um, David Bell used to get so charged up. Like, the dude used to, like, average, like, an ejection a week or something like that. But then when you talk to him, like, pre- and post-game, he's just so mild-mannered. You know, like, he's just – he's a guy He's just – he's kind of monotone, kind of like Belichickian. Can I say that? Is that a, is that a verb? We'll go with that. Yeah, fair but, enough. You know, he's kind of Belichickian. And then all of a sudden – you see him when there's a bad call. And if he needs to get the team fired up, he's always the first guy to go out there and argue with the ump and, and get himself ejected to try to get the team going. And it's so hilarious. But look, I think what we saw was 
you know, and Rocco's always been like, look, I don't look at the standings and all that stuff. We just go out there and play ball each and every day. We're trying to win every game that we can. That's cool. But Cleveland and Chicago are, are nipping at the heels a little bit. And I think what you see is not desperation, but I think the urgency of this playoff race, like heating up. And it's just like, look, every game counts. Every game matters. You think you're just about to go into the next, you know, half inning. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh, shoot, like we got to score because now they've overturned this call. And I think. We love to see like fire and compassion from people. Like, I think even if it's like unwarranted, you know, like you, like when you, when, when we watch like the Timberwolves play and Pat Bev used to get, you know, all fired up, Cat getting fired up, Anthony Edwards getting fired up. We like to see the energy, the, the passion, right? And so I think from Rocco Baldelli's standpoint, we enjoy seeing his passion. We enjoy seeing him all fired up and seems, you know, justified. If you're a Twins fan, you're like, man, he was justified in that. How do you call him out? And then all of a sudden you reverse the the call and now we're down a run. Like that's, that's craziness. And so I think looking at that, you love to see that. And it's like, look, if that's the energy that he's going to bring as they, you know, come down the stretch here in this playoff race, like the Twins could be better for it because you you feel that urgency you feel that almost desperation of a team that is trying to hold on to that lead for dear life each and every play each and every run counts and that is what we saw from from Rocco yesterday and we love to see it yeah we're down to 54 games left mm. which is exactly one third of the season so we've reached the two-thirds mark um, and now the wins, you really need to take every game seriously. Every game is going to be super important. This is going to come down to the wire. And you love to see it from Rocco because when you've got a manager that rarely emotes, it means more when they yep. start kicking dirt around and pointing fingers. Yep. Like, it just has a greater impact. The worst part of it, though, is that he really didn't have anybody to yell at because they've got centralized <laughs> replay. So he's yelling yeah. at guys who had nothing to do with the decision, who actually got it right on the field, in, in my opinion. And he said that after the game. He said the umpires got it right and replay messed it up. And it was one of the most borderline 50-50 calls, maybe letter of the law, maybe you could say that, that he did block the plate or the, the lane with his leg. But again, when the umpires and referees that are on the field have to make that call – it does change the calculation because, you know, they have to think of, all right, if I make this call in favor of Minnesota, I don't think Toronto is going to be upset. I think Toronto says, well, we tried. But if they reverse that, when there's very, like, little clear, clear evidence, it's not convincing whatsoever, Minnesota is going to be irate, right? And, and it always has felt to me like you need overwhelming evidence to overturn a call like that. And that was far from overwhelming to me, especially when Gary Sanchez has the right to catch the ball. Like, he is allowed mm -hmm. to be there to catch the baseball. So I don't get it. Um, it was disappointing, and, and the Twins had a chance there to string three in a row together, and they haven't been able to do that a lot. So to kind of squash their momentum that way, that was disappointing. Um, mm -hmm. Now with L.A. coming up, Reggie, the Dodgers for two and the Angels for three over the weekend. 
Will the Twins still be in first place this time next week? They have a one-game lead right now. <sighs> so looking at what the Dodgers did to the Padres, I think that kind of makes you a little nervous. Um, I think the Angels are a beatable team. Um, and I think we've seen what we've seen from the Twins this season, we've seen them compete with the best of the best when it comes to, um, you know, these teams. And they've made they've made these trades to kind of make the, the pitching better, which we applaud them for that because they weren't going to get to where they needed to go without making some moves. And so, look, we're glad about that. The Dodgers just swept the Padres, man. Like, yikes. Like, you got you had Manny Machado going all Kevin Durant after the, the sweep. <laughs> He's like, you know who I am. I'm Manny Machado. And it's just like, uh, I thought you guys were supposed to be like this big and bad team. You know, I'll, I'll get off the Padres a little bit because, you know, Padres Twitter came at me last week. Uh, but uh -oh. – you don't want that. Yeah, I know. You don't want I that. Know. I know. I don't need. They're vicious need over there in San Diego. Anymore. Oh my goodness! It's 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 rough. It's rough. I was getting cooked. But anyway, um, the Dodgers are are a World Series favorite. You know, like I I don't I don't even think you put them as a World Series contender. You know, you don't even say that. They're a World Series favorite, considering all the talent they have on that team and how loaded that roster is. And so you hope. If you can get one, man, if you can get two against the Dodgers, like you, you feel really good about what you did in that series. But if you can get one, at least still one from the Dodgers, like, okay. And then maybe if you can get two from the Angels who are not going to really compete for a whole lot this season, I don't really believe. And so um, the Guardians are surging, the White Sox are surging, which you felt like was going to happen you know, in the second half of the season. You asked me a question, Sam, and I'm Will like, they be in the league a, a week from now? <laughs> All right, I'll go I'll go yes. I'll go yes. How about okay. that? The Guardians play the Tigers, the White Sox play the Royals, while the Twins are playing the Dodgers. So that, that matchup there doesn't work out super well. You might have to make up ground against the Angels over the weekend. And I, I saw some absurd stat, like... The Angels started out 22 and 16, and then they went 22 and 49 in their next like 71 games. Why They've are just they been so abysmal. bad? Horrible. Why are they so bad. They got all this I, talent. They got the they got like I the know. most generational talent that we've probably ever seen, and then the the generational talent that we are used to in Mike Trout as well. Like. Mm -hmm. Why is this team so bad? What ha like what's happening? And they were the model franchise for how long? Like with Mike Sosha, you know, they were the right? the the team of the two thousands, arguably one of them at least. Um, yeah, it's it's gone south for the Angels fast, and L.A. the Dodgers have obviously taken over um, that city. It's always been a Dodgers town, but now it's really a Dodgers town. Time to jump mm -hmm. into uh, the what does it mean segment. Luke Inman does a great job executing this every week, and I'll do my best to uh, to live up to it. But no I pressure, saw a photo. I saw a photo, Reggie. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Mike Zimmer coming out from his lair. He he Ooh. got his uh, got his truck 
opened the locked gate of Zimmer Ridge Ranch, and he went out into public, and he showed his face at Cincinnati Bengals practice. Now, I don't think he was coaching. Mm. I think he was just watching, doing a little glad-handing. But he's at Cincinnati Bengals practice. It's not like he got fired from there, Reggie. I mean, he left there to take a head coaching job, so there's probably not a lot of bad blood. He probably knows some people in Cincinnati. What does it mean for Zimmer's future as a coach, maybe with the Bengals, that he was uh, seen at Bengals practice? You know, uh, Zach Taylor respects the old school guys. Like, he is a guy who's very loyal as well. Um, With how this defense performed last year in Cincinnati, I think a lot of people have kind of seen maybe a little bit of the writing on the wall that Lou Anarumo is going to get some consideration for um, head coaching opportunities, especially if the Bengals defense plays uh, as well or better than they did last season. And Mike Zimmer is like, hey, what's up? I live here. You know, I got a house right across the bridge in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I'm chilling. If you want me, nudge, nudge. come and get me. You know, like he's got a good relationship with with the family. Here's the thing. Totally different Bengals regime since the last time he was there. You know, Duke Tobin, uh, the the de facto general manager, you know, he's been there. But, you know, he was under Marvin Lewis, who is, you know, now, what, four seasons removed from being head coach there. And so it's, it's interesting. I'm sure he just was like, look, there's some ball really close to where I live. Let me go see some ball, man. I'm I'm not doing anything else. I'm just kind of chilling at the crib. You know, I I like my house, but, you know, I'm not used to being here a lot because I've been coaching. And so I think it's probably just him visiting some old friends, kind of checking out some stuff, maybe lending uh, an opinion or two, you know. But it's, it's just so interesting because when he's been the defensive coordinator for teams, not only have those teams done well, but those players like Deion Sanders, man, Mike Zimmer is like one of the most like influential guys in his life. Like he loves Mike Zimmer to death. He he talks to him mm-hmm. all the time. And I think that's something that, you know, he kind of flamed out here in Minnesota and, and there was so much said by the players, you know, after he left about just how he ruled and, and different ways that, you know, they felt like he just kind of, you know, led by fear, like this fear-based leadership style. And I think that's something that that these new age players, they're not going to have much of. But when you have one voice and a message that Zach Taylor is, you know, Zach Taylor is kind of known as being a little bit of a, of a player's coach. And if he just kind of gets a guy like Zimmer to kind of, you know, fall in line. Like, I could see them adding him as maybe, like, some type of, like, defensive analyst or something this season. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. just somebody of that caliber is never hurtful to have a a, a voice like that in the room if he's going to be helpful. And then maybe you see next year he kind of expands his role, if not with them, with another team as things shift as they inevitably do year to year in the NFL from a coaching standpoint. And so I think this is just a case of like him being close to them, him having relationships with people in the building, them allowing him to come and observe what they have going on and him just kind of, you know, scratching that itch a little bit 
because for the last, what, eight years, he's been the guy in charge, all ball, all the time. And now he's just like, oh, he's just kind of sitting around. What can he glean from this? What can he learn from this? Maybe, you know, especially with how, you know, there was a little bit of nepotism going on in, in Minnesota. And sometimes it seemed like the game had kind of passed him, especially from like an offensive standpoint and just how he did things. He was so married to how he did things. Maybe it's, maybe he wasn't the most open guy to some of the new stuff, which is what I think is really cool about the Vikings defensive coordinator now is, you know, even, you know, Ed Donatel being like an older guy, he's talked about, you know, merging with a guy like Kevin O'Connell and still being able to learn from some of the things that he's doing. Even, you know, being a coaching veteran like he is, he's like, look, like he's energized me. Maybe this is an opportunity for Zimmer to see some new stuff, get re-energized, and get back out there. And worth mentioning, too, that last week the Bengals hired his son, Adam, as an offensive mm -hmm. analyst. So the, yep. the family connection has already been established there. So, you know, if dad's dropping by, um, I'm sure it's not not an issue for Cincinnati. But I, I think that I think Zimmer is definitely angling to get back into the game. I think that mm -hmm. he probably wants to pick the right spot, though. Like, I don't think he's going yeah. to just take any old job. Um, I think he probably is eyeing, of course, Cincinnati because that's where he lives. And then there's always that Dallas connection. You know, Dallas is always sort of that warm blanket to fall back into. Things go poorly for the Cowboys this year. Uh, there might be a call made from one Jerry Jones to one Mike Zimmer. We'll see. Uh, what does it mean, Reggie? ESPN ranked the Vikings 14th in under 25 talent. They were behind the Detroit Lions on the list. Lions were 7th. But they were ahead of the Bears, who were 20th, and they were ahead of the Packers, who were 27th in under 25 talent. What do you think that means for the Vikings' future? Um, that they're sort of middle of the pack in young talent, um, obviously with a couple blue chippers on this roster. Okay, we go back to it. Kwesi said that he wants a competitive rebuild, and everybody's just like, what? What the heck is that? What is he talking about? Well, look, he's got a good healthy mix of some of the veterans and then he's trying to supplement the team with some of the younger guys and I think what's cool is as you'll probably see as the years go on him continue to supplement this team with more younger guys and then you look at the Vikings being a, a, a top 10 team you know in in younger guys in the league what you don't want is a team full of old guys because you're like, well, what are we going to get out of those guys? Like, what's the what's the ceiling for them? Uh, but I think he's done a good job of mixing some of the older with some of the newer. And I think that, that gives you a little bit of hope if you're a Vikings fan for the future that, you know, while this team is still trying to compete for wins and compete for, you know, the playoffs and ultimately a championship, he's still finding a way to get younger and still finding a way to get good talent as well. Like he inherited a team with some great young talent. You know, Dalvin Cook is not old. You know, Justin Jefferson is young. You know, um, some of these guys, you know, he drafted a guy like Lewis Seen, who he's really excited about. Andrew Booth Jr., he's really excited about. You know, there's some guys, you know, K.J. Osborne is, is a young guy. You know, there is some talent there 
that is going to help this team move forward and, and help this team win games. You just want to supplement them with more younger guys to kind of keep this thing rolling a little bit. Um, you you kind of look at some of the some of the other pieces like you know Daniil Hunter is not an old guy you know he's just kind of had some injury history, um, you know Z- Zadarius Smith he's played for a while, but he's not the oldest guy you know I think what's really cool mm-hmm. about this team is they are still building, but they are also keeping it for the present as well as far as the talent level. And so I think if you're a Vikings fan, you feel good about where they are right now. You're like, okay, I can see it. You know, uh, there's youth along the offense. Brian O'Neill is a young, younger guy. He's not, he's not, you know, the youngest guy, but he's he's still relatively young. You know, Christian Derisaw, very young. You know, these guys are expected to be anchors along that offensive line. You draft a guy like Ed Ingram, and you have high hopes from him, and he's young. Like I think that's an exciting you know, place to be when you look at the Vikings and you think about their future. They have some guys who can really kind of become some anchors on that team and help establish them as they try to build for the future in this competitive rebuild, as Kwesi put it. Yeah, I think the ceiling on their under-25 talent is enormous. Irv Smith Jr., despite it being Mm -hmm. his fourth year, he turns 24 tomorrow, so he's under 25. Jefferson... Ezra Cleveland under 25, Cameron Dantzler under 25, Derisaw, mm-hmm. and then everybody you drafted this year. Um, and, you know, and then you've got the fringe players like Amir Smith-Marset. I think he's still got a lot of potential too. So yeah. um, I think 14th is about right for, for where the Vikings are to That's have fair. the young talent they do and to have sort of the veteran presences they do as well. Uh, it's a good mm-hmm. balance on this roster. Reggie, you're off the hot seat. That was What Does It Mean? And that was Superior Sports Talk. Luke Inman will be back tomorrow. The duo will be reunited for the first time in over a week. I'm sure Reggie and Luke will be very emotional about that. Uh, But Reggie, (laughs) man, that was a a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks for for letting me fill in uh, in Luke's chair today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Absolutely, man. Appreciate you uh, hopping on and, and, you know, just kind of humoring my craziness from time to time but yeah we appreciate having you on and you know come back come back anytime you know oh thank you i'm glad there's an open invite (laughs) uh make sure to subscribe to locked on sports minnesota to find the podcast or find the youtube channel that's locked on sports minnesota for reggie i'm sam ekstrom signing off be blessed spread love this week